old school Blazer fans want to look at that game in November of 1990 against the defending Midwest champion San Antonio Spurs, I believe Portland jumped on them 48-16. It is deemed in still Blazer history as the perfect quarter. This might go down as the perfect game. All right, everybody, welcome to the 23rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling in Southern Oregon. And I got something to say. There have been scammers calling people's phones in Southern Oregon, so please be on the lookout for strange numbers asking you weird questions. Because my mom got a phone call today from someone saying she had a warrant out on her arrest. So that's some scary stuff. Don't give up your information out on the phone and be safe. Do you know what also is scary, Sage? Damian Lillard's game? Dame, the way this whole team is rolling right now. I mean, watch out, NBA. Here come our trailblazers. Red hot and rolling. 29 and 27. Just taking the league by storm right now. Winners of five straight. 14 of the last 17. And, buddy, they're doing it against damn good competition. Yeah. The way that they are playing is really motivating my expectations for this this team. I still think if we could somehow trade an asset in the summer for a pick in this draft, it'd be huge. But I'm really confident in this team rolling forward and the management that we have. You know, I said this maybe on our very first podcast, that this team was not only going to surpass expectations, but they reminded me a lot of the 07-08 Trailblazers. And for those fans out there who don't know that squad uh, intimately right off the top of their head, that was the year we drafted Greg Oden number one, uh, B-Roy in LA's uh, sophomore season. They had that 13-game win streak despite Oden being out the whole year. Just a young, fun bunch. Ended up winning 13 straight. They were a jump-shooting team as well. This team just reminds me of that team. Young, probably playing over their heads, not realizing what they're doing. The best is still yet to come. Making the playoffs would only enhance the progression of this team. It it wouldn't stagnate it at all. And that Blazer team in in 08 ended up going 41-41. and But the next year, 54-28, and and home court advantage in the first round. That's all it took from just internal additions of the progressions of players. And they added a guy like Rudy Fernandez. I think the Trailblazers, Yoel Shea has shown, he can make additions. And this team is geared to make some moves, especially the way their backcourt's playing. What free agent would not want to play with this team? And we still have cap space. Yeah. So it's a very amazing time to be a trailblazer right now as wheels would say it's a great day to be a trailblazer they're they're beating teams that on paper they might not excuse me that they shouldn't be beating yeah on paper i mean we predicted losses well i predicted losses you were the internal optimist but like they're doing something not expected of them right now and it's it's really wonderful to see them and it honestly looks like they're enjoying themselves playing basketball which when they enjoy themselves, I enjoy watching them play hard. Like, you could not ding them for the, the hustle that they show every game. 
in that Utah Jazz game, they were getting every 50-50 ball. It's because they wanted it more. It wasn't – the Jazz weren't helping themselves, but they wanted everything. So watching a team play well and having fun, it's only going to attract free agents. And as a lifelong Trailblazer fan, I can remember the years where teams were not having fun playing uh, with each other. Most recently, that lockout shortened season of 2012, where you had all those veterans like Crawford and Felton and Kurt Thomas and Camby and Gerald Wallace and so on and so on. I mean, that locker room went, you know, from high hopes to cellar dweller in a matter of days, which is incredible. But this team and... I read an article by Jason Quick, which was actually fantastic on CSN.com. It was very long form, but it, he really highlighted the points of how this team stuck together throughout adversity, whether it was Plumlee or Gerald Henderson or Damian Lillard in particular. Whenever they lost, they said, Hey, we're making progression or, you know, this adversity, it will help us down the road. And, you know, they, they, they lost seven straight in November, I believe, and five straight in December. I could be getting my, my months mixed up, but they did have right before two, Christmas, right? Yeah. They did have two pretty lengthy losing streaks, but they kept their heads down. They didn't pout and they went back to work. And now you're seeing the fruits of those labors because they've been through these trials and tribulations. Now they're ready to go out and beat Memphis on the road when it didn't look like they were going to beat the Jazz after falling behind. And as a fan, you just have to love the maturation of this team. And it is exciting. And let's dig right into it. You mentioned the Utah Jazz game. It was a 115-111 thriller on Sunday night in the Rose City. And my friend, if you would have told me that final score, I would have said no chance in hell. You want to keep it. You want to get points, but you don't want to allow Utah 111. They're one of the best defensive teams in the game. Mm-hmm. That that just kind of threw me off that the score was that high. What were your big takeaways during that game? Because we were texting back and forth quite a bit. I think the biggest one that was on the tip of both of our tongues was the pick-and-roll defense. From what I saw, we were rotating the first time, but the person on the weak side was not helping off at all. Because it was just open rim runs, open passes it was a really bad showing from them pick and roll wise it reminded me a whole lot of the detroit game early on Mm -hmm. this season when portland blew that big double digit lead and it was all based upon reggie jackson running that pick and roll with andre drummond and him keeping his dribble low and backing his defender away when you have a guy like drummond and gobert both just incredible wingspans just incredible height you do have to guard up against that lob because it's a nearly impossible play to stop. But at some point, you need to either trap the ball handler, double, continue to rotate around the perimeter, uh, use the help side defense, and just switch it up. Because, like you said, Shelvin Mack had a career night. He's the third-string point guard for the Hawks. First game with the Jazz, and he looks too comfortable out there for my liking. I was going to say, he hit a ton of tough floaters and shots, but as we were texting, you said he got his rhythm, he got his confidence. And that's what allowed him to make those difficult shots down the stretch of the game. Did you see that ESPN, like, they, they do a preview? And Mac was one of the players to watch. Our bad defense is the greatest thing for his career. Because he is getting noticed from major media outlets for that game. That's how bad of defense we played that game in the pick and roll. It was, he, that's what he attacked us on. 
Also, how scary are the Utah Jazz with a decent point guard? Yeah, that I thought they would be in the market for trying to get uh, Jeff Teague or one of those point guards that happened to be on the market. Well, I, I heard the Bucks actually offered Chris Middleton, your boy, my for Jeff Teague, and it was turned down. So if that was their offer, I'm not really sure Utah could have done much, much better without breaking the bank. Uh, what I did love is I saw on Twitter – uh, somebody said in a couple of years, this is going to be a fantastic second round matchup with games like this going all seven in the playoffs. And as a young Blazer fan uh, from the time I was five to the time I was 15, the Blazers just killed the Jazz in the playoffs. I mean, I'm talking 91, 92, 99, 2000. We had their number. I would love to revitalize that rivalry. I still have that that loathe for the Utah Jazz. doesn't matter who they have on their team. It's that front of the jersey that I dislike, and that would be a fantastic series to see in the playoffs in the upcoming year. So I'm actually excited that the Jazz are turning things around. Also excited we don't have to play them again because it was a very tough, tough game. Early on, Portland was up nine, looked like they were going to roll. Utah hits us with that 17-0 run, and you're like, this feels like Memphis yeah, you feel like this is Memphis all over again last year. When you play a team like that, that grit and that grind, 10-point lead feels like 20, uh, 5 feels like 10. It, it just It's an uphill climb. But the man, the myth, the legend, Damian Lillard, put on the cape, hit four straight threes in that, that third quarter, and it was on. Mm-hmm. Portland got, got it to a possession-by-possession game. And just an incredible performance from Lillard. Uh, he had 30 points on 10 of 21 shooting, five assists, four boards. He became the first trailblazer since Clyde Drexler in the fall of 1991 to score 30 plus in four straight games. When you're a trailblazer and you put on that, that jersey, to have your name mentioned with Clyde Drexler, that's a rare air. I thought he was kind of lackadaisical until he made those threes. And that woke him up. And then he played with passion and energy for the rest of the game i think that was that might have been the turning point when he hit those threes and back-to-back-to-back possessions it had to have been the blazers they wanted that game the crowd wanted to get involved and it felt like one of those games where even if portland got the lead utah would get it right back and it was one of those games that early on the season we definitely would not have won but they just wanted it more if you look uh, at the rebounds, you know, the stats that you can tell where you're out hustling your opponent, rebounds is one of them. Portland uh, goes a plus 10 advantage, 48 to 38. They grab a season high 23 offensive rebounds just to Utah's 12. Uh, a funny stat, Vonley and Harkless, they had 13 offensive rebounds. That was more than the entire Utah Jazz. Didn't that Vonley have eight? Vonley had seven, Harkless Aww. had six. Damn, I thought I was, I thought I remembered it right. I'm getting text messages from Blazer fans saying, Vonley's starting to finally play well. I'm like, nah, you just didn't pay attention to what he did in the small sample size. He's always been a quality player. Now you get to see it because he's getting more time in the rotation. Have they not been listening to the podcast? No, We've been championing Joe Vonley this whole time. Apparently not, man, because I think that this kid's going to be the, a star. I really do. I love the way that he was able to switch on defense so well in that Warriors game. Like, that was one of the big things about the Warriors. Most teams can't switch on the pick and roll. Well, with Noah Vonley in the game, we sure as hell can. Because of his athleticism, his speed, his intelligence. Vonley definitely impressed with his defense. 
and we'll get to him, but I really want to talk about Mo Harkless. Uh, it looked like a game we thought we previewed it. It might be a Myers Leonard special, you know, bring out Rudy Gobert, Derek Faber, shoot that three. But it seemed like when he got into the game, Portland tried to force feed him every time. And that was the only angle they were going. And Utah was all over it. Uh, I wouldn't put the blame solely on Myers Leonard for Utah going on that run. But what Harkless brought to the team is his ability to cut without the basketball, find his position under the basket, and just outwork, just straight relentlessness under the glass. Uh, 17 points on nine shots, seven rebounds in just 25 minutes. This dude keeps it up. He, like Alan Crabb, is going to get P-A-I-D. In full. Like, like he's, he's, he's playing fantastic. When he gets minutes, he produces in a lot of different ways. Someone's going to offer him a pretty nice contract for these these games. GMs are really big prisoners of the moment. I've seen players that had a good series get major deals. So if he keeps this up in his limited uh, minutes and produces this much, he's getting paid. I mean, Portland stole him from from Orlando. Oh, likely jacked him. Give, likely giving up a pick that they will never have to surrender. Uh, a lottery, not a lottery, a top 55 protected pick. If we have to so, give it up, that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. You want to be able to give up that pick. And he was a huge reason why Portland had a 24-16 advantage on second chance points. There was one tip where he was under the basket, surrounded by two or three jazz, just did like a Kareem skyhook tip. And Utah, if you're watching that game as a jazz fan, that's just a deflating bucket because they shot better from the field. They shot better from three. They had a great night on offense, but they got out hustled on the glass. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about Mo Harkless and we have to give it up to Terry Stotts. We were both not proponents of small ball. However, he made adjustments and didn't put a menu at the four. It's more of Harkless at the four that's working. And it's because Mo is so athletic and he's so determined to outwork his opponent and he's pretty muscular. So he can guard some of the fours that it's really working. And I'm just really intrigued to see how this is going to play out over the course of the season. But I also want to give credit to Mason Plumley because he was key in initiating the offense at the top of the key. I really thought he helped take Gobert out of the game a little bit. You know, he plays 29 minutes, probably more than he normally does, but he almost had a triple-double. I mean, nine points, nine rebounds, six assists, two blocks, or two steals, one block. What we got from him, I'm not saying he's Draymond Green because he's not, but that's the type of production mm-hmm. that the Warriors get where he's initiating the offense as a point center. He even ran up the court with the ball, dish it to a wing for a three. We've seen that before, but the play that I love, it's breaking down. He's got the ball. Gobert surrounding him. Lillard's being just swarmed by Mac makes a cut. Plumley drops a perfect dime. He gets a layup in the fourth, just beautiful basketball. He doesn't falter under the pressure. And I just love the array of bigs that Terry Stotts has at his disposal. It seems like he's really in sync with their roles and their capabilities. And he's pushing all of the right buttons at the right time. It's so rare for a big to have the skills to do a pocket pass like the play you mentioned. Yeah, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Mace. I'd love to see him develop offensively, shooting more. But for what we get, for the price that he is getting, it's it's tremendous value. 
And did you see ESPN put out their, their top 10 juniors list with uh, C.J. McCollum both coming in third for, I believe, Chad Ford and Kevin Pelton. And Mason Plumley cracked the top 10 uh, on both their lists. I thought Alan Crabb should have made it as well. I think he's a better player. I know you like him, but I think he's better than KCP. But Plumley is another player we got uh, for the 23rd pick in the draft. And yeah, offense would be nice, especially that little 10-foot Rolo jumper uh, that we had last year from Robin. But he makes his free throws now, and, and that's key. And in this game, I thought it was going to be one of those one person starts missing, the whole team starts missing. I mean, we left so many points at the free throw line. I believe we started something like 11 for 23. A great team comes back and makes 14 of their last 15. That's what they did. And even the Drexler era teams or you know the 2000 Blazers, they would have nights where they wouldn't finish at the line. This team did it, so they've got some guts. And uh, lastly, how can we not mention C.J. McCollum? Mm-hmm. I know he probably had a rougher night on defense that we would have liked to have seen, but offense, he was spectacular. You can score as many points of you as you like, but you got you got to stop him on the defensive end as well. I didn't. Keep- well, as I was as I was texting you though, I don't think it's all his fault. He was not getting any help. We were playing ISO defense. There was no help coming either. Do you think when the like when the pressure is on, people revert back to what got them there? Do you think that when the pressure is on, Terry's gonna revert back to the ISO defense? When we were doing really well, we were we were doing this different scheme. But when it was a closer game, or when they were making that run, he reverted back. Do you think there's a possibility that he goes more risk averse? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And I think we all do that in all aspects of life. It takes a lot of time and trust and effort to change something about you or what you do. And when the going gets tough, actually put those changes into place. And we just recently saw Stotts make these changes on defense. So I don't think it's fair to, to expect them to go right to it when you know it's a difficult task. That's probably what we saw. There's still 26 games left to be played. We'll see changes down the road. This was just, I think, a bump in the road. I do think the Blazers got a little bit lucky uh, exiting uh, the Rose Garden with a victory, but you've got to give it up to McCollum. You know, we'll talk about his defense. Offensively is where he's going to make his money. Mm-hmm. 31 points, again, over 50% shooting, 4 of 6 from, from 3. The way he is, he's a magician with the basketball, man. The way he gets to the hoop, finds his angles. You can tell he worked with Steve Nash this offseason. And he and Lillard were actually the first trailblazers to score the first backcourt to score 30 plus since Clyde Drexler and Rod Strickland in 95 against the Supersonics. So the the performances they put on Sunday night don't come around very often. So cherish those and relish them because this Blazer team is on the up and up. And it's amazing that we're not leading off with the Warriors game, but that's how incredible Blazers just destroyed me 7 to 105 on Friday night, and it was so impressive to see them rebound and beat the Jazz on many fronts. Not only are there no more contrasting styles in the NBA mm-hmm. than the Warriors and the Jazz, but the four previous teams to beat the Warriors all had mental letdowns and lost the next game. Not only did we win, we beat a team that's fighting for a playoff spot and who is much better than their, their 27 and 28 record. So hats off to the Trailblazers. Sage, let's talk about that Warriors game. Did that really happen? It's kind of hard to believe that. First off, Damian Lillard played 
fantastic. It was probably the best stat line of the year until Sunday, I'd say. Like, hit that stat line, I, I saw ESPN write something like, they found the blueprint to beat the Warriors. Well, it's ha- having your best player, your point guard, have an unbelievable Superman stat line. Is that how you beat the Warriors? I mean, that was the major catalyst. There's other things, but Damien playing that well. You mentioned his stat line. Let's read it off for our listeners. 51 points on 18 of 28 shooting, 9 of 12 from deep, 6 of 7 from the line, 7 assists, a career-high 6 steals, and 0 turnovers. Mm -hmm. He is the first player to have 50 or more points, 7 assists, and 0 turnovers in a game since Reggie Miller 23 years ago. He's the first player with 50 or more points, 6 steals, and shoots at least 64% from the field since his airness, Michael Jordan, in 96. Alien. He's, he's not human. That was superhuman performance. If you saw that game live, you witnessed something that doesn't happen in every decade. That performance was amazing. I mean, that's why they call it a career night. Shout out to everybody that had him in fantasy, because they won that well, night. Shout out to all those coaches who decided he wasn't good enough to make an all-star team either. This is going to go down as the biggest snub in all-star, all-star history. Well, uh, do you think that in any way that that snub motivated him to play this superhumanly well the last two games out, out after the break? That had to be some sort of motivation. I guess. I think Dame's over it at this point. I really do think he left oh, that, I th- I that, think he's that more, chip. Yeah. I think he left that chip on you know at the door he got upset last year it didn't really do anything to his game in fact it might have hindered his game because he was trying maybe too hard to prove the doubters wrong I think he wants to prove the doubters wrong in terms of the team's performance and that's where he sees that he can do the biggest talking wins matter it should have gotten him to the all-star game but it really doesn't matter because the team's winning and I think he's got all NBA potential to make the second team if, if, if Portland keeps playing like this I don't understand how you could leave him off the second team he's just playing phenomenal and it was funny the one thing i said portland couldn't do in this game and win was get into a shootout with the warriors what do they do they are pushing the pace it is a track meet up and down up and down up and down they put up 42 on the warriors that is the most points golden state has allowed in any quarter this season it's hard to put into words what that game was because it's still so raw in my mind we played a a perfect game in so many different ways. How many times have you seen the Warriors pull their starters because of a, they're getting their ass kicked? Not much. And the way we played, that was just fantastic and wonderful. And I don't think we'll see that type of perfectness every day. So enjoy that game. Did you record it? Because I sure as hell did. I didn't record the original, but once I saw what was happening, I made sure to record the replay, and I've already watched it once with Olga uh, on Sunday, so you know I had to rewatch that game. But I think Portland won this game. As, as magnificent as Damian Lillard was, defensively is where they won this game. You want to talk about Vonley? What I saw was he out at the top of the key, pressuring Draymond Green, hounding him. The incredible help defense, the rotations. You want to talk about wanting it more than the other team? Watch those two plays in the third quarter where Damian Lillard 
slides across the floor for a steal. And then on the next play, acts like a, a DB and bats it down and gets another steal. That's straight up wanting it more than a team that is chasing history. Mm-hmm. I was going to say one of the keys that did ring true was they didn't let Clay Thompson go off. He had 19 points in the first quarter during that first matchup. But he was relatively quiet by his standards. Yes, he had 23 points on 50% shooting, but that's what, that's his average. You're okay with that. He didn't just go superhuman. And the reason it's important to keep Clay in check and not necessarily worry about Curry is because Curry, he averages 30 points. He's going to get that regardless of what anybody else does. So you know, going into a game, Curry's at least going to get you 30 points then you make damn sure that you don't let Clay get 40 or Draymond get 25 because that's that's what you're going to get from Steph. Mm-hmm. So I thought the Blazers did a great job of following their shooters. I think Steph really only got open a couple of times, and that was off of you know those screens. I mean, they, they run him off of so many screens. But what I think also helped was Portland is a – it's probably not a great matchup for Golden State. We can go small, but we have guards that they cannot hide Steph Curry on defense. Yeah. You want to put him on Dame, Dame's going to eat him alive. You want to put him on CJ, CJ's going to eat him alive. You know, CJ had another great performance, 21 points on 50% shooting as well, seven assists, four boards. The Blazer backcourt outperformed Golden State's, and, and that's why they won that game. But I just, I can't believe that was the worst loss for Golden State in three years. Like you said, just enjoy this victory because. To be honest, we might get get clown stumped in one of those two trips to the Bay. They might remember that game. I don't care. This was worth it. I really don't have I mean, anything. That, that game was special. It was special. Everything that the Blazers have done leading up to that game continued. I was worried about this game only in a sense that I wish we would have played it before the All-Star mm. break because usually when teams are red hot going to the break, they can come out a little stiff. You know, the mojo's gone, but they continue. That's another very positive sign to look at if you're a Trailblazer fan. They had this nine-day layoff, yet they they continued. They hit the ground running. There was no setbacks. Uh, the bench continued to perform amazing. I believe, uh, let me look up. Portland was 41-30 bench points. They've outscored their opponent's bench at that time in 14 of the 17 games. To me, that's astounding, and I'm not really used to it. Even the great Blazer teams in the early 90s only had a couple players off the bench. This last recent Blazer run will re-upset the Rockets, or even uh, the 09 Roy's Blazers, where we won 54 games. There was no bench in sight. It was all the starters. So to have guys like Henderson, who you know pours in 12 points, uh, that at that time, that was the seventh straight game in double figures. You've got Ed Davis doing yeoman's work on the glass. You've got Harkless who chips in 11 points and eight boards in 25 minutes. I mean, the list goes on and on. You've got Alan Crabb, who huge year for him. This team is just, it, it's just incredible. They are blowing my mind. I predicted 37 wins and I think I, I shorted them. Definitely. So Blazers, I apologize. Even one of the most optimistic fans did not see you being over 500 at this point. How crazy was social media that during that game? People that don't really care about the Blazers were just hyping it up. Like, it was absolutely bananas to see so much Blazers love. That was like a top five ass-kicking I've ever seen. That that was perfect. That game was perfect. 
old school Blazer fans want to look at that game in November of 1990 against the defending Midwest champion San Antonio Spurs, I believe Portland jumped on them 48-16. It is deemed in still Blazer history as the perfect quarter. This might go down as the perfect game Mm -hmm. in so many facets of it. You've got the fact that Portland jumps out to the 18-point lead. Golden State in a bat of an eye cuts it down to three, six at the half. But the Trailblazers rebounded. They kept their poise, and they pushed the lead in the third quarter. While Golden State, one of the greatest teams in NBA history this year, they they blew their composure. You've got Draymond Green throwing his fists, getting technicals, just upset at every single call. You've got the Warriors committing 13 turnovers in one quarter. Portland had 13 for the game. So the Blazers, they played fantastic defense. They they took chances, and they used their athleticism, and they played small ball. Golden State's used to playing small and getting away with it and being at the advantage. Portland said, okay, let's play some chess. Let's go. Your five against our five, our small lineup won. Maybe it was just that night, but you got to love the hope that it instilled. Any given night, man. Any given night. Any Yep, you're right. I mean... Just to touch on this game one last time, the Blazers dominate the paint like they've been doing in this recent uh, 17 game span, 48 to 38. Fast break points. Who would have guessed Portland gets 14 and Golden State only gets eight? That is a testament that the Blazers not only took care of the ball, but they got their butts back in transition and stopped a, just a potent fast break team in Golden State. They out dimed Golden State 28 25. Golden State is one of the most talented teams at sharing the basketball that I have ever seen. I mean, like you said, we could go on and on and on. This was just an amazing performance and I predicted a victory in that game. So I'll give myself a little pat on the back. I did not see that coming though. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that game was props to you for having the, uh, the balls to say it. Cause I just had a feeling. I don't, I don't know what it is with this team, but Damien destroys the Warriors. Curry is a bad, bad man, but they're going to have nightmares about Mr. Lillard as well up in the Bay. Mm-hmm. So that happened. That was one of the best weekends in Trailblazer basketball in recent history. But before that was the trade deadline where, as predicted, the Blazers were pretty active in some under-the-radar moves. But by all accounts, a lot of the, the pundits and the experts and the analysts they really loved what Neil Olshay did. Uh, Sage, why don't you give us a quick refresh on what uh, Mr. Olshay accomplished at the deadline? Well, we we definitely had the uh, the cap space, and we were before, below the floor, so we had to make a move. The The Cleveland Cavaliers wanted to get a stretch four for some reason, even though they have Kevin Love, and thought Channing Frye was a perfect match for that. So Orlando was trading away all their assets, or some of their assets, to get uh, – Evan Fournier, that max deal that he so deserves. And the Blazers used the cap space that they had to take on Anderson Verjao's contract. And then they got a first round pick in 2018, I believe, as a, here's something for your troubles. And then yeah, we, top 10 protected pick. Well, I, I don't think we'll have to worry about that protection. I think. No, we, that's a, yeah. you're looking at not getting a pick in 2015. Because you traded it, Randy Hollis Jefferson for Fumley. We did not have a pick in 2014 due to the Gerald Wallace trade, which turned out to be worth it in 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 a row. Damian Lillard, so definitely worth it. Uh, we're not going to have a pick this year if we can 
continue the way we're playing. So you're looking at three years without really a first round pick. Yes, we are the second youngest team in the league, but it's nice to replenish that stock. So you could look at, you know, in 2018, having two picks at in the draft up. Just a great move, especially when the Blazers hopefully are really hitting their stride and getting in their peak peak years to add two players where you either can pick those young 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 guns or use them to trade for you know maybe a proven veteran or somebody to help push them over the top so what else did we do sage we uh didn't we get a second round pick as well in that trade from orlando Mm -mm. we we had i believe we sacrificed a second round pick oh in the future yeah once miami acquired brian roberts from charlotte they were over the luxury tax line what does uh, Neil Olshay do? Calls up Pat Riley. Says, "Hey, how about Brian Roberts? Second round pick. We'll give you some cash. You save. You save on the luxury tax. We pick up an asset. Yep. Bada bing, bada boom. Well, unfortunately, it meant the end of the Tim Frazier era in Rip City. Back when I used to do radio in Portland, I since I had no clue what I was doing, I would talk about the Pelicans quite frequently. So I used to have notes and notes and notes about Brian Roberts' game." I think that when he was in New Orleans, he was in a position that he was not good enough for being a point guard that played 30 minutes. But in a backup role, I think he'll do just fine. He likes to pound the ball at the three-point line, take a screen, and shoot a mid-range jumper. That was one of my biggest criticisms of him was that in certain points of the game, he's a, he's a chucker. As a, a three-point shooter, he's like a Patrick Beverly. Not the greatest shooter, but mid-range, he's fine. He dribbles a lot. His defense is pretty poor. But we don't need a CP3 to be the, the third-string point guard. So what we have is just good enough. You know, he definitely loves getting shots up. In that, war, in that Warriors game, he played five minutes, put up four shots, had seven points. So I saw right away he likes to get the ball up. Oh, yeah. But... He's really going to play the Tim Frazier role. I think he'll come in in spurts. And as much as I like Tim Frazier, especially, you know, for his relationship with Dame, Roberts is a better player. Oh, without a doubt. He, he, Roberts is an NBA player. And if he re-signs in Portland, Blazer fans are going to love him because he's a good locker room guy, really active in the community. And he worked his way in a very similar fashion as Tim Frazier, except he played in Germany and had success there. He's a hard worker, and he's good for the community. If he resigns in Portland, it'll be great. If he's in and, the third-string point guard role. Agreed. And, you know, thank you to Tim Frazier for all that he did with the Trailblazers. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Roberts maybe gets a bigger deal this offseason and we re-up Frazier for that, you know, 14th, 15th man on the spot uh, for the minimum. So I don't think the end is over uh, for Tim Frazier. But Olshay did what he had to do. He got closer to the salary floor, acquired a free second round draft pick, which steals can happen in the second round. We've seen this with the Blazers. We've seen it across the NBA. It's a genius move. Yeah, I, I, I was a humongous fan of what Neil did in the at the deadline. What I, grade would you give him? I give him a solid B. Yeah, I go B plus. Just because I really love that first round pick. And oh, definitely. We don't have to worry about Anderson Verjao's contract until I believe when free agency starts. We could either use the stretch provision to break out his $10 million that he's guaranteed next season and over the course of five years. So your salary cap is only taking like a $2 million chunk, uh, a hit for over those five years. 
Have we or, used... No, never mind, sorry. I was going to say, or if Olshay doesn't think a guy like Durant, probably not, I know, I'm just throwing him out there, or another max contract type of player is not going to sign in Portland, or he doesn't want to go after any of these big free agents, take the hit now. Cap's going to go up again next year. You're wiped clean of his contract, and you have just as much space probably in, in 2017. So it leaves Olshay with plenty of options. I give him a B plus. It would have been an A if we would have found a way to move Myers Leonard. I was hoping we would move Gerald Henderson for a first round pick. I don't know if that was out there, but if Hendo would come back next season for a reasonable contract for reasonable length, I'm fine with keeping him because he's playing great. This team obviously plays so much better with him on the bench, providing that spark. So you can't really be mad. Again, it was really just Myers I was looking to, to move because I don't want to bring him back for a contract that he's likely to demand. And I don't like not getting anything out of your assets. Yeah. And, I mean, it's hard for us to judge. I think what he did is fantastic. But it's hard for us to judge because we have no inside access to this team. It's just what we see and educated guesses, essentially. Going, you know, you're very, you're very correct. We don't know what calls he took, what players were offered, what packages were on the table. So it's tough to make judgment after the fact. But going around the NBA, who was a team that you saw make a move and you just shook your head like, what in the hell are you doing? The Montejunas trade to Detroit. But that got rescinded. But it got rescinded, I know, but. Thankfully for Detroit. Yeah. Because that was a terrible trade. Exactly. They were going to give up a lottery pick for a backup player. Mm-hmm. I, they they did great with Tobias Harris. They should have stopped while they were ahead. Exactly. Oh, the other one that makes me shake my head was the Washington Wizards acquiring Marquise Morris. You are taking all my answers. That was that was my answer. What are the how how did, kudos to the Suns? You know, was, I have ripped I have ripped them time and time again for making stupid GM decisions, but this was actually a smart one. I have no idea how they got a top 9 or 10 protected draft pick for a head case. A guy who is throwing towels at the coaches, choking out his teammates on the sidelines, just pouting on social media. They got a freaking lottery pick, a possible lottery pick. And he's, to be honest, he's not that good. He isn't a slightly above average starting power forward. He is not worth that pick they gave up. Yeah. Who do you think missed out on making a trade? Cause I got a few. I think you got to look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. I like the Foy acquisition, though. It's not as good, but it's all right. It's not helping. They got destroyed against the Cavs at home and the previous night, uh, previous couple nights, lost to the Pacers at home. That's a team. They're on paper just look fantastic. There's something going on in that locker room, or there's there's something with that team. I felt it last year with the Trailblazers, there was something up. Because on paper, we should have been a lot better than we were. They should be a lot better than they are. I think there's something under the surface that's causing them not to play to their full potential, which I'm fine with because I just like the Oklahoma City Thunder with all of my heart and soul. But I thought they missed out on a big opportunity. And I I don't know if they missed out on an opportunity, but I didn't like what the Cleveland Cavaliers did. Yeah, it's a stupid move. Getting They have up. Kevin Love. Exactly. They have Tristan Thompson. They have Tim- Timothy Mozgov. They surrender a first-round pick, another one. They've already given up two for Mozgov for a fourth big that's rarely going to see the, the light of day. I thought, if anything, use that pick. Gerald Henderson makes so much more sense for that team mm-hmm. than Channing Fry. So 
that's kind of what I was thinking. Who do you think missed out on opportunity? Toronto. I think they could really use a nice stretch for. The price tags were too high. Your Pelicans were were supposedly offering too much for uh, Rhino. You've got... Who else was on the list? Thad Young. Uh, I bet Brooklyn was... Well, Brooklyn was in a tough situation because they just hired Sean Marks as a GM. So you don't know if he's going to go in there and make a trade on his first day of the job. He probably likely wants to assess his team and see what moves he wants to make. uh, Wasn't he a former Blazer? He was. Did you call him the Kiwi? Because that's what I did. What's that? He was the Kiwi in New Orleans. That yeah, was... he's, he was the Kiwi from, <laughs> from New Zealand. We're very original with our nicknames. <laughs> so did you have a, a trade deadline winner? Detroit, because of the rescinded trade. What about you? Looking at it, I would say besides the Trailblazers, I liked what the Phoenix Suns did. You got to go full tank now if you're the Suns. Losers of what twelve straight now that they're probably going to lose tonight in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Did you see Phil Pressy they, they getting have, minutes? Yeah, they, they've got Phil Pressy getting minutes. If that should tell you anything, Rip City, and they've actually surpassed the Nets. They're now the third worst team in the NBA, and they might be closing pretty damn hard on the Lakers. It's just a big, big, big dumpster fire. I don't know who their point guard is. Is it Archie Goodwin or Devin he, Book? No, he got he got benched. So he, Phil Pressy's the starting point yeah, guard. Yeah. Oh, Ronnie Price, too. Former Blazer. So, I would have liked to see them probably move Tyson Chandler. Oh, I thought, he, I thought he was going to be so gone, because that contract's looking really bad now. There's a, bad. Maybe would, people didn't want the deal, but I would have just tossed every... I'd be, outside of Devin Booker, everybody on that team should have been available. Yeah, TJ Warren. Like, they should have took a bad contract to get rid of Tyson's worse. Did you happen to see that Monty Williams speech? Because that happened in... During the break. Did you happen to see it? I did. That situation is unbelievably sad. We never addressed it on the last one, but that one, that, that situation is so sad. And the, the way Monty handled it during that speech, I, there were problems with him, with his rotations, his calls during, after timeouts. But as a human, as a man, Monty Williams is gold. He, he's just a great person. Yeah, there's no questioning his his personality as as a person. And I think the same goes for Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan was a stand-up guy, uh, not to take the story or the derivative elsewhere, but when he got fired, he showed up the next day to the, the corporate offices of the Trailblazers. Every employee was in what they called the spine, which is the main area, and he looked everyone in the eye, shook our hands, and said, thank you for you know what you're doing for this team. Just a complete stand-up guy, and Monty Williams was Nate McMillan's right-hand man, both cut from the same cloth, and it's just completely tragic to hear what happened about Monty and his wife, and I hope he can use basketball as an escape, as a way to, you know, not not think about not having his wife. So he's he's worried about his his next opponent trying to scheme their defense instead of worrying about, you know, planning a funeral and all of that things that we all wish we could never have to think about ever again exactly but rest in peace to ingrid wonderful Agreed. all right so moving on what do you think about the trailblazers through this past this stretch we've seen myers leonard have good performances against the kings and the grizzlies, grizzlies. And he played well against the Rockets when Vonley was out. But 
the way Harkless is improving, the way he's producing, you definitely have to give Vonley minutes. Regardless of how well they're playing, this is still a developmental season, and he needs minutes. His defense has proven that. A 10-man rotation just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, We got a fan question from our good buddy Evan, who was on the show. He wants to know, you know, where do we go from here with Myers Leonard? All right. Well, if you were to ask me this question before the trade deadline, before the All-Star break, I would have said, he's going to be on this team. I hate it, but I think he's going to be on this team. But after the break, I think Neil and Coach Stotts talked about it, discussed how Myers is really a matchup-dependent player. I think they made the decision that giving someone a lot of money to be a utility player only in in special occasions isn't worth it, and I think he's gone this year. What do you think? I think, I think his role is a lot like that in a closer in baseball. Mm-hmm. They're in there to get nine strikes, three outs, finish the game. That's all they're paid to do, and they get paid big money. Some of the best ones are worth it. You look at Mariano Rivera. Definitely worth worth the price of admission, worth the worth every bit of his contract. But Myers, while he is just a pick and pop shooter, he is not so deadly that you can pay him that much. His the rest of his game just hasn't developed along with his shooting. You look at Harkless, who's probably what three or four inches shorter than him, but he's just such a better rebounder. Mm. Myers, for whatever reason, just can't get in there and use his just God-given natural athleticism and and wingspan and length to to gobble up the boards because that's what he should be doing. Like you said, he's matchup dependent on defense. I love him when we have to play the Kings and Grizzlies to go up against Boogie and Marcus Ole, but he's not a four. We've seen that you can't put him out on the perimeter. And even when he is shooting, you have to beg him to shoot. Mm. So there's just so many things that go into Myers Leonard. And I don't know if it's mental or if he's overthinking it, but he's just not the same player we saw in that series against Memphis. I really do like Myers and I I want it to work out, but you're looking at a team with a lot of talent, a lot of bench free agents. And if I'm being honest, I would rather spend the money on Harkless, Henderson and Crabb and go after somebody else than spend that money on on Myers as well. I think that he has two definitive basketball skills that are pro level. It's his shooting and his willingness to battle with the bigs, the traditional centers. I don't think that he's shown anything else in his game worth writing home about. He's an okay passer. Defense is awful. I... There are some there are players that can do his role for much much cheaper. Give Cliff Alexander a try. Sign some guys that are big and bulky in free agency. Patrick Young from Florida. There's a bunch of seniors that are going to be looked over that are bigs with high motors. Give them a chance because his the the role Myers Leonard carved out for himself is very replaceable with cheaper guys. And I'm not a fan of his game. I've bitched about him on this podcast relentlessly. Here's a name that got thrown out on Rip City 2 that I kind of in love with. Under the radar signing, John Lure. Oh, no way. He's leaving Phoenix. No way. He started like half the season. 
They love him there. I think I would rather win than be on a dumpster fire. Thank you very much. I, uh, is, I don't think his contracts... Is he a free agent next year? I think so. He might not be. I'm just thinking of a player who's tough, but can shoot. And smart. And, yep. Smart. Like, the, 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 the analytical people love John Lohr. I've watched him a bunch throughout his career. Dude's smart, athletic, tough. Would love to have him. Don't think he's going to be a Blazer because of... I think other teams realize that he has skill. But if he became a Blazer, love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A lot of teams should have realized Ed Davis and Alfred Camino had skill too, but yeah, no they're, they're still some, able to swoop in and get them at primo deals. There's some and, dumb GMs, my friend. Yep. And while Lure is smart, I do think Myers is smart too. I think that point should be hammered home. I do not think he's a dumb player that people make him out to be. I think he thinks about the game too much. I don't think he lets the game come to him. He's overthinking it, and I think that's really causing causing the, these type of erratic performances we're seeing from him. Some nights he just feels basketball, and we're seeing that jumper flow. We're seeing him get into scraps. He's standing up for his teammates, and he's just out there playing. Other nights he's worrying, looking over his shoulder. Am I going to get taken out of this game? What if I make this turnover? Should I make this pass? He's still young, but at this point, in time with him being a restricted free agent, I would probably just have to let it go. And like you said, try to find somebody uh, a little bit cheaper that could do some of the similar things that Myers provides. But we still have, you know, 26 games left and hopefully Myers can turn it around. Would you be happy if we got someone who does 80% of what Myers does for like 20% of the contract? Yeah. So like a $4 million player. Yeah. Oh, easily because Uh, you want when you have a player playing every third game, not having a huge role, maybe being the eighth or ninth man off the bench, you, you don't need them making a whole lot of money. You want to spend those guys on the top top rotation guys that are going to get in there and be your breadwinners. Mm-hmm. I have to take a wicked leak. I'll be right back. Hold it in like a man. <laughs> so it is a busy week for Trailblazers. And as a fan, I love it. Going those nine days over the All-Star break was torture. I wanted to keep watching games, especially after we kept winning. So you'll get to whet your appetite this week if you're a Blazer maniac. Tomorrow night, we continue the homestand against the Brooklyn Nets at 7. It continues, uh, ends Thursday, February 25th on TNT against the Houston Rockets at 7.30. And then Portland kicks off a vaunted uh, six-game Eastern Conference road trip. Two of those games will happen during this this talk week, which we'll discuss Saturday in Chicago at 5, followed by back-to-back on Sunday at, at 3 p.m. against the Indiana Pacers. Sage, let's dive into this Nets game. Uh, Brooklyn is 15-41 and 41 at the moment, the fourth worst record in the entire NBA, just 4-19 on the road. If you remember correctly, Portland... Won 116-104 in Brooklyn back on January 15th. Lillard had 33-10 and 10 in that game. I tried to do a lot of research on this game. I found some stuff, but I think it's just got to come down to Portland not overlooking this team. True. Who are you? What are your what are the positive aspects of this team? Thad Young and Brooke Lopez. I think it's really just Brooke Lopez, and if I'm Portland, I swarm the hell out of him. I do it like you do Boogie. Uh, Brooke Lopez only has 97 total assists on the season. That's incredibly low for a player who's playing, what, 30, 32 minutes a night, maybe more. 
So I, I think you can get away with taking a chance on sending the double and hoping that he's not going to make the correct pass and you can force some turnovers to get out on the break. Uh, I was actually listening to Damian Lillard, who was on Trailblazers courtside this evening, and they asked him about this game. Are you going to overlook him? Overlook them. And Damian had the perfect response. He said, we're not in the position right now to be overlooking anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, in the grand scheme of things, the Blazers are still just the seventh seed out west. So while it may think everything is coming up all roses here in Rip City, any other city is probably looking at us and be like, okay, this is a nice story, a nice team, but still just two games above 500. And to be honest, that's the truth. We need to continue to win and prove people wrong and prove that we belong. And you do that by beating the teams that you should, especially at home. Uh, Portland is coming off of two pretty emotionally charged victories. I think the crowd, I'll be in attendance, which is I'm, I'm looking forward to. I was going to ask you that. Good shit. Yep. So I'll be doing my part to get the crowd energized. But it's going to take a little bit because it's it's not the Jazz. It's not the Warriors. It's, it's the Brooklyn Nets. So... My keys to the game are defense number one. Uh, Brooklyn struggles to find offense. They're the, the second to the last team uh, in putting up points on the board, just 96 and a half. I think you also have to make Brooklyn pay for their mistakes. They turn the ball over about 15 times a game. That's 10th most in the league. And they allow over 18 points off turnovers, which is fifth most. Portland not only turns Brooklyn over, they get fast breaks. Hopefully that leads to highlight dunks. Not only gets the players on the court excited, gets the bench excited, gets that whole arena excited. And I really think if Portland can get off to a fast start, you know, my X factor is having a lead by 10 plus after quarter one. Do not give Brooklyn any, any sort of hope that they can win this game. Crush, crush their hopes and dreams right off the bat. So, Brook Lopez has been healthy from his foot for a year and a half. Hasn't missed many games. When do you, when would you feel confident in him removing that injury prone tag off him? Or is he, is he forever injury prone because of what happened earlier in his career? I think you have to go at least three full seasons without injuries before you can really shake off a tag. Mm. I, I think he's very good. I think, he, Perfect world. He it's two K and he never gets hurt. I would love to have him on the Blazers, but I'm not willing to take that chance just yet. I know the number, like the games played, is pretty impressive. But I, when I think Brook Lopez, I think of him in a suit because of his injured foot. I, I also I don't know if the type of center he is is completely necessary in today's NBA, mm-hmm. especially for what he's getting paid. True. I think he does provide some services that we could use. He's a little too plotting, but he's yeah, he's too plotting. Now, the, what separates Demarcus Cousins from him is Cousins is athletic and get up and down the court. Lopez, you're going to have to slow the game down. I saw too much of that with Lamarcus Aldridge, dragon ass, Brandon Roy. I love B Roy. Did never want to push the pace. I don't like that type of basketball. I think you need to push the tempo when it calls for it to be pushed. You have to be versatile and. uh adapt to the game Mm -hmm. so there are games when you want to slow it down definitely agree with that but there's also times you need to run and gun Mm -hmm. and that's what i love about this team they're able to adjust and i think lopez kind of pigeonholes them into a style of play and i don't think today's nba is going to a certain one style of play it's like a hybrid Mm -hmm. can you do this on one night can you do that on another night so we're if you were the coach we would be fast pace a lot of movement on the offensive end 
quick pace because Brooke Lopez is plotting. I mean, I their think, guards aren't very good either. Is I it, think is it Larkin or Sloan? It to be honest, it doesn't matter. They're both terrible, and, and then, the way our guards are playing, yeah. they, if they feast, we'll win. And they should feast because as good as Brook Lopez is on offense, he's not going to challenge any shots at the rim. They don't really have any real shot blockers or paint protectors. So if Portland can get going early with their guards, getting to the basket, that's going to cause the rest of the defense to sag in, and you've got shooters galore on the wing. Mm-hmm. If Portland just comes ready to play, they will win. I think they do. I think this is actually a big Blazer victory, probably by 15+. plus. I think the X factor in this game is rebounding. And the reason I say this, Brooke gets his eight or whatever, but there's no real big, like, a rebounder on that team. Thad Young, who's the four, who I'd like, he's a small forward. Let's be honest. He's like six eight. He's a small forward. His rebounding is, pro- kudos to him for actually rebounding, but let's put a f- man on both of them and get boards. I think that is the X factor of this game. Is it a Myers Leonard game? Because of Brook? No, I think Mason can do a pretty decent job, especially bringing him out if he's going to play that point center role like he did against the Golden State Warriors and initiate the offense. Let Damon CJ confuse their guards cutting which way and getting open off of, you know, whether it's screens or just their own movement. If I see Myers Leonard defending Thad Young, I'm going to be very upset. No, I think it's a Von Lay. Harkless, Harkless type of defense on Thad Young. It has to be. He, I mean, Look for sport. Harkless to have another big game, but I got the Blazers big. What do you think? Do you think Amina's going to have a good game? Because I could, I could see it. He'll at least. I think d- defensively, yeah. he's been, he does The thing about Aminu is he doesn't need to score to be productive. No. He plays such great defense. That's what we need on the wing and what we've lacked. And I think he'll continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big win for the Portland Trail Blazers. I'm hoping we see a. A, a Brooklyn-centric uh, tease in the fourth quarter, maybe something else. I don't know. I want to see some hip-hop. So. Something hip-hop. Big John. Biggie. Big John, hook it up. Biggie, Brooklyn's finest. Jay-Z, play it. Sky Zoo, if you really want to impress me, Sky Zoo. Some Ranger over rhythm? Oh, my God. I'd make my day. Yes, it would. Portland will close out the homestand on Thursday, as mentioned, on TNT against a very familiar foe, the Houston (laughs) Rockets. This concludes the third game over a 19-day span uh, against Houston. Portland and Houston have played three times already this season. I'll run down the results right quick. Houston won in overtime 108 to 103 uh, in Houston on uh, November 18th. That was the game we all know and remember. the, The Brewer shot? Brewer shot. Portland had a 10-point lead with uh, two minutes to go. Portland rebounded, though, on February 6th in Houston and destroyed the Rockets 96-79. to And to be honest, that's the game where I really started to believe in this team, where they went into Houston and just smothered them. Portland had six figures or six players in double figures, led by Lillard's 21. And then right before the All-Star break on the 10th of February... In Rip City, Portland killed the war, or the Rockets once again, 116 to 103. Lillard had 31 points. The Blazers got 31 points off of 20 Houston turnovers. And this game is for the season series. Like the Jazz, Portland won the season series 3-1 with their victory last Sunday. They could get the season series 3-1 over the Rockets, and that would be just huge. Unbelievably huge. Stretch. 
unbelievable. When you have that first tiebreaker, that's you're essentially picking up two games on the team. Portland did it against Utah. Are they going to be able to do it against uh, Houston? And what's important about this game is the Rockets actually play in Utah on Tuesday, and then they have to fly to Portland. If they lose that game in Utah, you could start seeing a lot of chemistry problems even become more evident. We talked about that trade with Monte Yunus getting rescinded. So not only did Houston, the reports come out that uh, James Harden and Dwight Howard tried to trade each other off the team. <laughs> but you're bringing it back, uh, Monte Yunus and Marcus Thornton, who were actually traded. That's just got to be a weird scenario for them coming back into an already toxic locker room. How awkward is that? It's super awkward. <laughs> like, you say your goodbyes. Or your FUs, because I'm sure that's how it went down. And then you're back? Oh, I, I feel so... That locker room's just going to be so awkward. I love it. But it's a game Portland... I don't think they'll take li- take lightly because Beverly... And I know Lillard gets up when, every time he sees Beverly. He wants to light him up. They still remember the playoff series. They still remember... Brewer shot probably from this year. They they look at the standings. They know how important this game is. What I think is key is can they be aggressive and match Houston's free throw attempts or at least come close? They did that in the game on the 10th. I believe both teams attempted 34 free throws. That's Houston's bread and butter right there. If you can neutralize that, you are setting yourself up perfectly to walk away with another victory. It would be Portland's seventh straight overall if they take care of business against Brooklyn as well. I think they also need to beat Houston up inside. Houston allows nearly 12 offensive rebounds a game. That's the second most. They also allow 14.6 second chance points, third most. And they allow over 45 points in the paint, third most. What the Blazers have been doing over this span of 17 games, they've been crashing the glass, especially the offensive glass, getting those second chance points and doing a lot of damage in the paint, not just relying on the three. That's been their recipe for success. If they can include all three of those ingredients, that's going to bake. That cake's going to bake. That's going to be a victory. Can they do that, though? I think they can. I, I, I just don't see how Houston's mentally there. This year is just such a colossal failure for them. I think I don't see that many mentally strong individuals on that team how are they going to fight through adversity so far they've shown that they just don't from that is a very good call what what's the adversity i can guarantee you houston's going to come out they're going to play fantastic that's what they do they're a talented team the first quarter and yeah they're a talented team but what happens when your shots stop falling the the opponent starts getting it going you get punched in the mouth how are you going to respond Houston so far to date, they haven't responded. They've curled up in that fetal position and they've taken that loss. I still think this is going to be a tough game. I hope, I really actually hope they do lose in Utah. So they're coming in with their tail between their legs and Portland can smell blood in the water like the sharks that they are right now. But I think the X factor is will Houston go inside to Howard and will they stay inside? On the the sixth in Houston, when Portland won by uh, 17 points, Dwight was just six of ten. That following game, right before the All Star break, he was 13 of 17 from the floor. They just didn't continue to go inside him, and I didn't know why. That was the game where Olga was sending me text message updates and saying, 
yo, why are the Rockets not going to Dwight Howard every time? We don't have an answer for him because you don't want to double him because they do have shooters. Mm-hmm. Do you think Marcus and Monte Yunus are going to play hard at all? Well, Monte Yunus can't play. His back's messed up. He's still injured. Okay, Thornton. I don't think my boy MT5 is going to play hard at all for this team anymore. I mean, did he ever really? He just likes shooting the basketball. Oh, he loves shooting the basketball. But, I, man, that, that locker room's so messed up. I think it's going to be a Blazers victory. I think this is going to be the, the just, I think Brian Roberts is going to play the fourth quarter. I, I just see us kicking them in the face. After the, after the first barrage Houston throws at us, we'll recover, take it, and just beat the crap out of them for the rest of the game. That's my prediction. I would love a blowout, however. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I'll go with a six-point victory. I think Portland will pull away in the end, but Houston's a tough team. Harden's free throws can't keep them in the game. This isn't the postseason. The refs call a lot for Harden's favor during the regular season. I think you'll find, I mean, he's, he's a monster against Portland in the regular season. Uh, he always has been. But like you said, I think Portland's just going to be the stronger team mentally. They're going to pull away. I think it will be their seventh straight, and they're going to go into this most important road trip of the season with all the momentum in the world. They kick it off Saturday night uh, in the Windy City against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Bulls are 29-26, and 26, but just 3-7 and seven over their, their last 10. Uh, Chicago, this is a back-to-back game for them. They will have played in Atlanta the night before, which gives the Blazers a small advantage. But, Sage, we talk about the Rockets and the Pelicans as the most disappointing team in the league. But right now, could an argument be made that the Chicago Bulls are actually the most disappointing team in the league? An argument could be made. I just think they're wrong. that argument's wrong. It's definitely the Rockets and then the Pelicans. But they're a pretty disappointing team. The injuries, I mean, one could say that you can make an excuse for the injuries, but... I thought Fred Hoiberg. Fred, I thought Fred Hoiger, Hoiberg was going to be a beast head coach. I wanted him for the Pelicans. I thought he was going to be great. I don't think his scheme. I think it's like in college football, you got a bunch of players that run like a fullback, running back type of power eye offense, and Hoiberg wants to run the Oregon offense. I just don't think the players fit the scheme. I think they also lack an identity, and I think that goes with it. You don't know what they're going to do. They're not really a great defensive team like Thibodeau's Bulls were. So, okay, you think, okay, you're not as good on defense. Are you going to put up points like maybe D'Antoni's sons? No, they're not doing that either. Uh, you go back to, to injuries as well. Um, Jimmy Butler is going to be out for two to three more weeks with a knee injury. Each uh, one more. <laughs> Nico, Nikola Mirotic is out two to three weeks with an appendix. Uh, Joakim Noah is out for the season with a shoulder injury. So that's going to be a completely different team than the Trailblazers faced on November 24th in Portland when they lost 93-88. Uh, to 88. Uh, In that game, it was just kind of a weird one that I remember. Uh, Damon CJ just combined to shoot 11 for 39. Uh, Butler had uh, 22 points and also had that half-court heave at the end of the first half, uh, a three, which if that doesn't go in, Portland maybe wins that game. So a weird game. And Portland doesn't have to worry about Butler on either end of the floor or Noah or Miritich. The Bulls still have talent, though. Yeah. Is Taj Gibson hurt? Because I remember him hurting his knee. 
too. He might be. I looked at Basketball Reference, and they usually do a pretty good job of listing who's all hurt, and he wasn't listed, but uh, I could be I could be wrong. Either way, they still have Pau Gasol. They still have Bobby Portis, who I thought was one of the steals of the draft. And Derrick Rose, I think it was last year, had his best season, best performance of the season against us. Uh, he still has flashes of brilliance. Doug McDermott's coming off the bench. I believe he got 30 for them in a, in a big win uh, at home against the Toronto Raptors. It's still a winnable game, though. Oh, I th- oh, yeah. I think it's a very winnable game. It's a game that I think Portland needs almost more than anything on this road trip. You want that first one to set the tone. Okay, we got the one. You know, you don't lose the first one, then the second, and you're, and you're starting to look over your shoulder, maybe at the standings, or trying to think of, you know, oh, oh goodness, we can't get this win. Are we going to get swept on this? On this, uh, on this road trip, are we going to get to 500? Getting that first one, just you can breathe. You know, you exhale. That just takes all the pressure off, and you can go into the next games with that momentum. You continue this this winning streak. But Portland's really going to have to. You talk about Brooklyn winning the battle of the boards. I think we have to do it against against uh, Chicago. Chicago leads the NBA in rebounding at 47.8. Portland is right behind them at number five. They get 45.9 boards per game. Offensive rebounds, the Bulls are up there again, 11.5, fifth, Portland, 12, which is third best in the league. But what separates those two statistics is the Bulls, they actually give up the most rebounds in the league as well, 46.8, and they give up the most offensive rebounds, 12.4. Portland, if they want this game, they can have it. They just have to go out and get it. And hopefully there's not a lot of offensive rebounds to grab because they're draining all their threes. But if there are misses, you've got to outwork Pau Gasol and, you know, Portis and Dunleavy and McDermott and just show them, hey, we're here to take this victory from right out from underneath you. I think Damian Lillard is going to go off on Derrick Rose and then CJ is going to go off on one more. I, I just see our guards dominating this matchup. I think Portland's starting guards have to eat. I think they will. I think this is probably maybe more of a McCollum game just because of what you mentioned. Uh, Etwan Moore. The one guy Portland needs to watch out for. There's two guys. One starting, one off the bench. The starter is Pau Gasol. Could not let him go, get going because you can't double team him. He is one of the best passing big man in NBA history. Mm-hmm. The guy off the bench is Aaron Brooks. He can get straight buckets. He knows how to play that pick and roll. Portland needs to watch out for that. So if they can limit those two players, I like their chances. My X factor is the three-point shooting. Uh, when the Chicago Bulls lose games, they give up about nine threes per game. Since the All-Star break, Portland is making 15 threes, 14 and a half. Portland can get, I say, 12 threes to start this road trip. It's going to open everything up. Their defense is going to feed off that offense. I, I might regret this later, but... I've got the Blazers winning a slugfest in Chicago. I think it's going to be a gritty, grimy game. Maybe both teams are a little bit sluggish. Portland from that time zone change. Chicago from coming on that back-to-back uh, from Atlanta. But let's go 95-91 Blazers in an old-school grinded-out game. I agree with a lot of what you said, especially the Blazers win. I think that will kick ass. I think Aaron Brooks is a very difficult matchup because the Blazers aren't the best defensive team when it's water bug quick point guards. And one thing you can say about Aaron Brooks, that boy's quick. So 
defending him will be a huge thing on pick and rolls. The helper actually has to help this game. It's a place of victory. I'm going. I'm going the the win. Yeah, you look at the first two games on this road trip. You've got the Bulls and the Pacers. Might be two of the most winnable games. The Knicks is probably the most winnable, which would be next. But then you've got Boston, Toronto, and Detroit, which, to be honest, you would be thankful to get one of those three. Yeah. So, so you need to make your you need to to make your bread right now in these first three games of the road trip. We'll talk about the second one upcoming uh, to round out the week. Uh, Saturday night, the Blazers will play the Indiana Pacers, who are thirty and twenty six on the year. Uh, I was in attendance for that game back on December 3rd when the Blazers won 123 to 111. Damon CJ had 47 combined in that game. And what I remember vividly about that game was Monte Ellis got early foul trouble, which I loved because he always destroys us. And Al Farouk Amina's defense on Paul George. He held PG 13 to just four of 17 shooting, completely took him out of the game. That was one of the few games where I was like, all right, I have to shut my mouth about Al Farouk. That he played fantastic defense against him, but it, it's Paul George is one of those dudes that Alfaruk is just built to defend well. So it, it was a really like it, it's tough to say Paul George is ever a positive defensive matchup for someone, but with Alfaruk, he's just built so well to defend him. I think a key in this game will be to keep the Pacers off of that free throw line, especially when you're on the road. You don't want to dig yourself a hole, maybe have a quarter where you get into early foul trouble and the other team's in the penalty at like the eight-minute mark. You can't really have one of those quarters on the road where you get outscored 13 points and then rebound uh, to get the victory. That just doesn't happen too often away from from home court. Indiana, surprisingly, they only attempt 23.5 free throws a game. That's middle of the pack, about 13th. I would have thought with guards like George Hill, Monte Ellis, even Paul George, they would be getting C.J. Miles too, bro. C.J. Miles, they would be getting to the line a lot more but just because they might not average that, I still think they need to keep them off the line because they have tendencies to, to get there and get into the paint. That's where all the majority of the offense is going to come from. So Portland can keep them off the, the free throw line. They can defend that three-point arc. You mentioned C.J. Miles. He was a man-child in that game uh, in December against the Triple Just 8 of 11 from deep. The Pacers as a team were 13 of 30. Portland cannot play that lax of defense on the, those three-point shooters. They have to really get out and pressure the three. Because you're not going to win away from the road, away from home, giving up nearly 50% shooting from, from deep. And uh, I agree with everything you said. I think Frank Vogel deserves a lot of credit for, I mean, just a year ago, they were a traditional basketball team with two bigs, a small forward, and two guards. And now they're a fast-paced team that also plays really good defense. I think Frank Vogel should deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, I think Miles Turner is going to be a big uh, factor in the game. He had a bunch of DNPs, didn't get any rotation minutes. But when Jan Mahimi and Jordan Hill got injured, dude just stepped up, and he is not giving up any of his uh, minutes that he's earned because he is putting up some really crazy consistent numbers in, like, Limited fashion too, like in 24 minutes, he'll get 20 points and 10 rebounds. Dude's playing really well in a limited basis. And so, he can score in a, in a bevy of ways. Oh, yeah, he's nice. I didn't think he's he was going to be that good. No, he's a solid pick in the late lottery by the Pacers. They've got, you know, a lot of nice pieces. But it was funny. I just glanced at the standings and I was like, 
Indiana, 30 and 26. Wait, we're 29 and 27. We were only one game really back of the Pacers, and the Pacers were at one point, I think, second or third in the Eastern Conference. So that just is a statement and a testament to how far this Blazers team has come. And I think if they want to exit Indianapolis with a victory, they're going to have to do two things even to go along with keeping the Pacers off of the free throw line and the three-point line. They have to limit their turnovers, and you have to keep the Pacers off the break. Mm -hmm. The Pacers rack up over 14 fast break points, which is the seventh most. We allow 10, which is actually the second most. So we typically don't do a good job of that. We have to. The Pacers are number one in the league at points off the turnover, getting 19.7. We actually do a pretty good job of this. We only allow 16.6, which is 11th most. But this is a game, I really liken it to when we went into D.C. and played the Wizards. You don't want to let John Wall or Monte Ellis roam freely on the break. You have to take care of the basketball, value the possessions. This might be a game where you pick your spots to run. Mm -hmm. I think against Chicago, you go up and down the floor, you make that veteran team go, go, go. Against the Pacers, probably want to pick and choose where you want to go because if you're careless, they will make you pay in an instant. And they have the athletes to just run the break really well. I mean, George Hill is all right, but dude's a dude's a hound on defense. They got the defense and the athletes to really make Portland's day miserable, but I think that they can fight through, do all the things we we mentioned, and get the dub. What's your X factor? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my boy Miles Turner. I think we got to stop him and Monte Ellis. I think. It will be a meaning one, Paul George. He doesn't have to completely shut him down like he did earlier in this in this NBA season against against George. But if he can make life miserable, maybe force him to take twenty five shots to get twenty five points. Maybe get a couple of draw a couple charges on him, get him in early foul trouble. Just overall harass him, make life difficult for him. I think Portland will will win. That team goes as Paul George goes, much like these Blazers go as Damian Lillard goes. So that's my X factor. I think Aminu's going to play well. I can't believe I'm predicting it, but I'm going to go 4-0 week against, you know, really good competition outside of the Brooklyn Nets, but Portland still can't take them lightly. I think we find a way. I think Portland gets over 100 points against this Pacers team. I think that it'll be maybe a, a 108 to 103 victory. I agree with you. It's a, it, it's a 4-0 week for the Blazers, which may not be but, good because we both predicted 4-0. Hey, I've predicted undefeated. I predicted, uh, Rockets, Grizzlies, Warriors, Jazz. So I've predicted a forward over these past two weeks. I'm Maybe, just going, with, just going with what my gut's saying. Maybe the the All Star break was a turnaround for Damian Lillard and our predicting skills. Maybe that's it. Cheers to that. I would love for that to be the case. Whew, Sage, do we have any mail time? I know I answered Evan's question, but you said you had one as well, right? This is a very uh, good question. From, I think his name is Joe. He asked, how has our lives changed since we've done this podcast for 23 straight episodes? How has your life changed? I want to hear your answer first. (laughs) It's changed almost everything in my life doing this podcast. I mean, the way I approach social media, the way I approach talking about basketball, which I love to do. It's given me a new lease on what I want to do for a career. 
I mean, lo- I would love to do talk with you about Blazers for a career, but I think I could really give it a go at this podcast thing. I've I've worked in radio for six years. That's a really dying in- industry. Podcasts are the future. The two most popular forms of media right now is those six-second vines and those hour-long conversations on podcasts. I mean, the people that listen to every show know me better than most of my friends do. So doing this podcast has been a catalyst to change a lot in my life, and I'm forever grateful. And it's a it's a blessing to talk with you about a basketball team every week. I think it's just, for, for me personally been a nice outlet in a hobby Mm -hmm. i have sports has always been a big part of my life and i love watching the blazers i look forward to every game but it's also nice to have something like a podcast to Mm -hmm. look forward to every monday night okay i'm gonna record i'm gonna talk hoops hopefully you get those listeners and they can hear what you have to say and then you get the feedback which is great and you take the fan questions and i'll take long story longer for instance she's told to us on numerous occasions i've learned so much from listening to this podcast so in a way it's you know mm. it's teaching and i love that i love the interaction with the fans on, on social i just love talking hoops i could do it for hours i know we usually have longer podcast episodes than most people and thank you to all the listeners who listen all the way through but it's because we could really do this for hours on end every day without a doubt but but yeah i, I I think this life, this podcast has changed me more than it has you just because of the career that I chose and all that. And because you're becoming a big, big Blazer fan now. Oh, I'm, uh, yo. Let, I'm going to be honest with you. I've missed two Blazers games, but I've missed like five Pelicans games. I've watched more Blazer games. But, I mean, of course, it's because I don't want to sound stupid. But I, I, I am a huge fan of this team. I, I, we're developing a fan base, and there's people that I truly enjoy talking to. Like, long story longer, Kim. Evan is such an OG. And, I mean, like, this culture has accepted me, and the, I found a place for myself in it. It's fantastic, and I love it. I mean, I can't think of a better way to end the show than that right there. Yeah. You can find this podcast if... If you like what we talk about, go ahead, subscribe on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. If you'd like to send us an email, hit us up at Holy Back, excuse me, hit us up, Holy Backboard PDX at gmail.com. And we are always on Twitter at Holy Backboard. Love interacting with our fans on social. Sage, I think that wraps it up for tonight's episode. Let's get this 4 0 weeks started with a victory over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Thank you, my friend, for spending your Wednesday evening with me. And let's go, Rip City. Monday evening. Monday evening. I stand corrected. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go, Rip City, baby. Shout out to Adidas. Let's go.